This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The Ontario Medical Association is weighing in on the reopening of the province. It's released a paper setting out five public health pillars it feels is necessary for a safe return. So the immediate question is, how does the province's blueprint jive with these suggestions? I would like to welcome the new president of the OMA, Dr. Samantha Hill. Hello, Dr. Hill. Thanks so much for having me. How are you today? Fine. Happy Victoria Day. First of all, let me ask you, at what point did you realize that you were taking the helm of this organization at such a a strange and different time? It's been apparent for a couple of months that this was how this was going to go down. And it's uh, quite fascinating because I can tell you that when I ran a year ago, this was not the uh, expected situation. How have your priorities changed because of all this? Thanks. That's a great question. Um, So I, they've changed a little bit, obviously, but not as much as one would think. I came in with three really important pillars that I was going to work on, and that was to really bring membership unity back to the organization. We're a very diverse group, and it's sometimes hard to corral us all with one voice, but obviously that's fundamentally important. Um, Also, we needed to look at membership burnout. So that's something that's been in the radar for a while now. But physicians are really struggling to work in our current healthcare system. And that's leading to more and more of them experiencing this phenomenon called burnout, which ultimately can lead to loss of lives and loss of service to Ontario. So that's uh, a huge concern. And then the third issue that I am is near and dear to my heart is that of gender equity and various other forms of diversity and inclusion in medicine. And one would think that all of that had to take a very much backseat once COVID came in. And it certainly has shifted a little bit. But there's a lens for all of those things during COVID. We have, as a profession, really come together in our response to this. And I think that that really indicates how important membership unity is and how much we can do when we are united. The idea of membership burnout is even more critical right now. We're seeing community health care infrastructure close in a variety of places, mostly because of financial concerns, but the burnout aspect can't be undermined there. It's People are struggling. They have struggled hard for a very long time. And this, like for many others, not in medicine, might be the last straw. And the gender equity lens is also really interesting because we have some real evidence that COVID-19 is hitting people disproportionately. And uh, we know amongst that that fee-for-service is a gendered fee statement, and women physicians, frankly, are suffering slightly more than male physicians are. And we'll see that in the shutdowns as far as which clinics shut down first and whether they're male or female-owned. So that's that's all stuff that's going to come to light. It plays through here very dramatically. Okay, uh, so you've uh, released these five pillars, and, and just very briefly, you want people to continue and maybe to step up personal protective measures like masks and distancing and testing and contact tracing and uh, targeting uh, approaches to different parts of the population. So from what you see so far, is the province's approach in line with what you think is necessary? 
Well, so what we're really trying to address is um, how we reopen, not necessarily when we reopen. And so what I mean by that is that we know that the government's trying to find a balance between restarting the economy, reopening society, which is fundamentally important. The fiscal and psychological consequences of COVID-19 cannot be overstated while still trying to contain the virus. And it's, it's a hard call and it's a hard decision to make. The five pillars that we've discussed are really practical, common-sense steps um, based on emerging evidence, best practices, learnings from other jurisdictions. And so when we reopen, obviously that's up to the government, but we do have some concerns about things like personal protective equipment. Do we have enough of a supply chain? Contact tracing. Do we really have enough manpower and motivation? And even the public compliance, which is that fifth pillar, it's, been the fundamental reason, I would say, why we've done as well as we have. And as we change the guidelines and we change the rules, it's going to be hard to follow for a lot of people. They're not going to know exactly where that line is anymore. Yeah, and we're going to need to be really clear. It's it's uh, it's very difficult. Uh, the the chief medical officer of health said, I believe it was yesterday, that at this point, the split for the spread is fifty fifty split between the community and long term care, and he was flummoxed about that. He would have thought that community spread would be dropping more than that. Do you have a view of that? Well. Were you out on that beautiful weekend day two days ago? Uh, yeah, but I was uh, I was uh, walking in a park and uh, wearing a mask. So absolutely. But how many people did you see that weren't? That was where I was going. I went out. Um, I don't know for ten minutes as I usually do, as I have done every day for the last ten weeks for a walk around my block. And I'm in downtown Toronto, and I was stunned by the number of people in groups of threes and fours walking around. It's Without masks, mostly, as you said, I don't know for certain, but I really doubt that those were all single household units. I certainly haven't seen that for the last eight weeks. And so I I do wonder, I do wonder about people's ability to continue with that social distancing and with all those protective measures in the absence of really strong guidance about it. Uh, so would you expect that split, the, the, the balance to tip even more into the community as we reopen? I do, actually. I think that now that we have our eyes on long-term care, um, I'm really hopeful, anyhow, that we're going to do a much better job of protecting those populations. But as we relax the social rules and reopen businesses, I do think we'll see a second wave and maybe even a third and fourth wave. And while that's not the end of the world, um, what we have to make sure is that those waves don't get out of control. It's normal to see little surges, local surges, but we want to make sure that we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. And for a healthcare system like ours, it's usually running near capacity. That's a very fine line. Yeah, and we're also seeing, finally, we're, we're going to be seeing, you know, elective or so-called elective surgeries resume, uh, which will take up some of the capacity that, that was left open for COVID. Uh, I want to talk about virtual medicine, and uh, the government has made that easier, though, uh, Lord knows you're not getting paid for it until July, I think. I know that I I got a call from my physician totally out of the blue, which was very nice. We had a nice chat. Uh, so uh, how much of that is, is here to stay? Well, hopefully a lot of it is here to stay, to be quite honest. I think it's changed the 
the reality of healthcare for many people. And it's something that Ontario's physicians and Ontario Medical Association have been advocating for for a long time, long before COVID got here. The challenge, of course, is that, as you mentioned, many people aren't getting paid until July 4th, but even those who will be getting paid for July, uh, in July, the codes are quite limited and they don't do justice to a lot of specialties. For example, psychiatry, they cannot bill enough by virtual code to match what they would have billed in person, despite spending the same amount of time, despite spending the same amount of energy and services. And even though we're shifting or we have shifted to virtual care, we do still need those physical brick-and-mortar offices because not everything can be dealt with virtually, right? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things in that call, and it wasn't it wasn't a video call, he just called me, um, he, he suggested I get a certain shot. Uh, and I'm thinking about it, but I'm thinking, when will I want to actually go into a doctor's office, which might have sick people in it? Uh, so, you know, I would think that's another thing to contend with, especially if you're, you're dealing with things that are preventive. Absolutely. It's one of the big challenges about reopening the community health centers and community health clinics is that they're not going to reopen the way they were open before COVID. There's going to be social distancing in the waiting room. There might be plexiglass walls between the patients and the receptionist. There's going to need to be a deep clean of each room in between patients as opposed to, you know, the normal wash your hands and pull out a fresh piece of paper. And all of that is going to decrease the efficiency of those clinics well, the overhead and the costs remain the same. So it's really challenging for some of these clinics to figure out how they're going to stay open. As far as being safe to go in and see your physician, I'd like to think that every physician who's bringing patients into their office has made sure that they've done due diligence on keeping things safe. And that means spacing out patients, bringing people in further apart, doing those deep cleaning measures. You don't want to put off preventative care for too long because then it becomes essential care and emergent care. Well, uh, and the other question is, is is somebody going to uh, waste a full thing of of PPE to give me an injection? Well, they might because (laughs) that injection, whatever it is, will be preventative for you having some other process in the future. That's that's the value of preventative care is that if done properly and done early, it actually saves the system millions of dollars in the downstream effects of the disease that we're preventing. Are you uh, worried at all? One of the things that worry people about the second wave, uh, if it's not a third wave, is that, you know, when it coincides with regular flu season, uh, first of all, are people going to get vaccinated the way they have before? And and how are you going to tell the difference? Exactly. So it is a challenge and it is a concern. The second wave of COVID is estimated to come in at around the same time as the flu season picks up. We won't have the COVID vaccine by then, most likely, but we will hopefully have our normal flu vaccine. And it'll be even more important to see that uptake in the community. The last thing you need are patients having influenza and then being susceptible and catching COVID. That just seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And uh, what about the whole issue of vaccine hesitancy? Do you do you see it lessening and going away because now everybody is sort of desperate for a vaccine or, or uh, is that going to continue to be a problem? It's remarkable, actually. You would have thought that this kind of event would really shift priorities and make it clearer for people. But the paradigm of thought amongst the vaccine hesitant and the vaccine resistant 
really doesn't seem to have shifted that much. We've seen a very even keel of the number of patients and people stating that they still don't want to take their vaccines on schedule or at all, and who say they will refuse the COVID-19 vaccine. So um, it has been a concern and it remains a concern for us. Okay, uh, we're, sorry, basically out of time. What would you like to leave us with? I'd like to leave us with a plea to everyone to keep your distance, wash your hands, wear your mask when you're out in public as much as you can. Still stay within your bubble. The doors are open, but the disaster is not over. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Samantha Hill. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again frequently. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.